the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. On the NASDAQ at SALM. Good morning. I'm Chuck Kamlick with your live CNBC. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and much, much more. Oh, my. Let me get my screen situated. Be one of those days I get the feeling. I'm discombobulated already. It's never a good thing to be discombobulated so soon in the show. Um, SP 500, three for three this month. It's a nice thing to talk about. Haven't moved up or down at least 1% in all three sessions. Yesterday's move was textbook for a market that's been conditioned to buy on the dips. On the heels of Monday's 1.2% decline, the S&P 500 jumped 1% on Tuesday in a broad-based advance that saw all 10 sectors register a gain. Tech sector, which has trailed notably this year, led the way. Apple was up 3.5% yesterday. Tech sector was up 1.4%. Tech sector effectively gained basis points for every basis point of growth of CBOs predicted in the U.S. economy in 2013. So, President Obama, he made a proposal yesterday to pass a short-term budget that would avert the full impact of the automatic spending cuts scheduled to go into effect on March 1. For a market that's really been conditioned to rally on headlines suggesting difficult decisions will be put off in a few months, that was pretty much so right up the alley of the market. Germany and France are both down 1.4% today. France has some discomfort with the strengthening euro. Italian bank Montepaschi revealed a larger-than-expected derivative loss. Reports of a budget agreement might not get struck at an EU summit. I have things a little bit in a tizzy in Europe this morning. Disney, pretty good earnings. Polo Ralph Lauren, pretty good earnings. CVS Caremark, pretty good earnings. Seems that everyone I know has had some sort of cold or flu this year, which plays well into CVS Caremark. So, um, some positives out there, you know, with earnings, some negatives with some headlines out of Europe. One trader made an $11 million bet. It's a large bet that volatility is about to pick up, which is typically a bad thing for investments. Interesting little statistic that came out. Most investors don't even realize that stocks are up since 2009. And thus, many have missed the rally. Financial Times asked a large group of investors whether they thought the stock market was up or down in 2009, 2010, 2011. This was in 2012 that they asked. 
about half of the survey were not aware that the market had gone up each year post-crisis. That's pretty crazy. 37% of people. Um, 2008, obviously, pretty rough year. Um, 2009, great year, up 26%. 2010, great year, up 15%. 66% of investors thought the market was down in 2009. 48% thought the market was down in 2010. 53% thought it was down last year, uh, two years ago. We don't know about last year yet. So a lot of people don't know what's going on, and a lot of people are jumping into the market. A lot. It's it's funny watching what happens up in the world. Or at least it's funny to me. I guess it's not funny to you. I still always try to figure out if it actually is funny because. Eh, Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. So, looking at some other issues of the morning. Chipotle had a nice quarter. We always care about Chipotle because they give me more rice than the person in front of me, which I'm always happy with. Chipotle is trying to change the way fast food is imaged. Postal Service is going to end Saturday delivery to save itself. S&P down 4, Dow down 42, NASDAQ down 8. Is the Postal Service going to stop delivering Saturdays? I have to be careful what I say because I know there's a lot of Postal Service employees listening. I think a lot of Americans could live without Saturday Postal Service. Packages will still be delivered. It's a company that loses $25 million a day. Last year, they lost $16 billion. Mail volume totaled 159 million pieces last year, down 5% from 2011. Contributions to the Employee Pension Fund and the Future Retiree Health Benefits also have contributed to the agency's financial problems. It's trying to take measures to reduce its financial hardship there. All very interesting stuff. So, don't forget, uh, we have a Black Wednesday today. Black Wednesday is a chance to meet me out in public, 5 to 7 tonight, in Lafayette, Lafayette Park Hotel. More information can be found at kdow.biz, kdow.biz. I'm going to be handing out what I refer to as a shopping list for a bad market. Um, there's a little bit of news this morning out of the ECB, a little bit, you know, President Mario Draghi's going to head a meeting of policymakers in Frankfurt tomorrow. So far, the SP 500's up 6%. So we're primed for a pullback at some point. Visa, News Corp, Prudential, all amongst 24 companies, SP 500 scheduled to report earnings today. 74% 74% of the members of the SP 500 have released earnings so far that have exceeded expectations. But again, that's off of lowered expectations. I don't think there's anything really jumping out this morning as far as things that you have to hit on top of that. 
Google's going to buy Channel Intelligence for $125 million. ESPN's Bill Simmons is in the news today talking about pranking Twitter. Like, that's not a good story, is it? I don't think so. Postmaster General of the Post Office has a master's from MIT. Interesting, right? Gas prices have begun their annual ascent to summer driving. That could be one of those negatives that hits the markets. Monopoly has replaced the iron with a cat. I don't know. Like, really? I can't really throw that out there as a positive. Get your calls in there. It's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Don't forget, come out and meet me tonight from 5 to 7, Lafayette Park Hotel. It is called the Bistro at the Park is where we're meeting. More information can be found at kdow.biz. Again, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Money, investing, and much, much more. Sadly, one of the big stories today is the post office is going to end its Saturday delivery to try to save itself a couple billion dollars a year. That's the story? That doesn't feel like much of a story, does it? Pinterest is in the news today. Pinterest is one of those dot-com companies, web 2.0 companies, where you can go post pictures and like them or not like them and get everyone Googling and oogling and gaga over them. SP 500 is down 3, the Dow is down 36, the NASDAQ down 7. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. He manages wealth for clients, newfocusfinancial.com. Let's talk a little bit of mutual funds and maybe let's take the angle of the introductory to a mutual fund. What do we need to know? Well, I think it's a matter of comparing apples and apples. Okay. Um, you know, with the whole idea of index investing and John Bogle from Vanguard, um, people got almost too fee sensitive. I mean, it's very important to look at fees when it comes to mutual funds, but people look at a large cap fund and see, or an ETF, which now has four basis points. So four tenths of 1%, you can invest in the entire market through things like iShares. Yeah. Um, and so then they look at an international fund and see fees of around 1% or more, and they think, oh, I'm not going to touch that international fund. Yeah. The Big issue mistake. is is that, yeah, that international funds are already just going to have higher fees because you, you want boots on the ground in those countries that they're investing in. You want to have the analysts know the companies, visit the management, things like that. So there's already more cost. So fees, when you look at the returns, especially if you're using Morningstar.com as a tool, the returns are net of fees, so you have to realize that. Sometimes you get what you pay for when it comes to fees. So what I like to concentrate on, what I always talk about, is when I'm investing in a broad sh- stroke of large-cap U.S. stocks and large-cap or in, in mid-cap U.S. stocks, that's where I really, really like to use index funds or ETFs. All right? um, or if I'm in a positive market for bonds where interest rates are steady and or coming down and all bonds look fairly attractive... Index funds or ETFs are a good way to go there. 
When it comes to small cap international emerging markets or any alternative investments, you can, if you do the homework, find the funds that outperform the indexes. And what I mean by that is if you look at an index that's in, you know, China, for example, a lot of times you'll look at that index and say, really, I don't want to own all of those companies that are in that index. I want a manager to be much more specific. So that's why I think managed funds and small cap international emerging markets make more sense than index funds. Can I slow you down a bit? Sure. What does return net of fees mean? Well, so when you're seeing a return, um, you know, let's say you look at an a international index fund, like the MSCI index, and the return is 16%, but you see a managed mutual fund where the return for 2012 was 15 or 16% or 17 18%, it, it, those returns are showing you net of the fees. It's your real return. Okay. Um, so it has the fees built in. The fees are built into the return. and But people still, they look at the return, and then they see the fees. Even though the return is lower, they say, oh, the fee's much lower, so I'm going to buy that fund. That's not necessarily the right thing to do. It's a bad way to shop. Yeah. Yep. Uh, shopping on price tag alone, sometimes you get lower quality. No, shopping on the way the, the real way to shop for managed mutual funds, too, is is you look at you know three, five, and ten-year average returns. Yep. And then you look at consistency. You look at... Items like know what standard deviation means. If a fund as two funds have the same uh, longer-term returns, look at the standard deviation. The one with the lower standard deviation has more consistency, less volatility. Um, and then look at how long the manager's been there. Make sure the manager or the management team has been in place for the length of the track record. Um, because too many funds change when they get a new person at the helm. And it's interesting for me to look at 10-year returns in large part because... You're just, you, you fired today, you're like, one, three, five, ten years. To me, ten years means how did it do after 9-11? How did it do with Bush's president? How did it do with Obama's president? How did it do with uh, the 2008 market correction? How did it do with recovery? Did it, out, did it outperform in good times? Did it underperform in bad times? Like, I need to know this stuff, or at least I need to think about it so I know I'm educated going into a, a purchase. Yeah, and you need to see... What happened? Did they make big bets to get the returns? In other words, you want to look at the funds and, and realize what their you know, annual holdings tend to be. They report to you on a quarterly basis, and if you start seeing too much weight in a certain sector where they're trying to make big bets to make up for mediocre returns, that's when you get a little bit wary of the fund and say, okay, well, they're, they're just trying to catch up and they're taking on too much risk. What do we need to know about alpha and beta of mutual funds? Well, beta is how how much risk, well, how much movement you're going to have versus whatever index it's following. So if you have a large cap fund and it has a beta of one, if the market moves up 5%, your fund's probably going to move up 5%. If it moves down 10%, your fund's probably going to move down 10%. Beta of less than one means it, it moves a little bit less. So as the closer you get to retirement, the more you want to pay attention to the beta because you want exposure in those areas, but you want lower beta, lower volatility because you're drawing on your portfolio. Typically, uh, dividend-paying stocks that increase their dividends have a little bit lower beta in the long run, and that's why you focus more on that towards retirement. Alpha is a measurement of are you being compensated for the ex- extra risk that you're taking. So when you can run a portfolio through, say, Morning, Morningstar, and you're overweighting in small-cap, mid-cap, emerging markets and taking on more risk, are you truly being compensated for that risk? And that's important, the, the more money that you have. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. He manages wealthy clients. You can learn more information about him at newfocusfinancial.com. 
And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. The S&P 500 is down 3, the Dow is down 36, the NASDAQ down 7. Oh, my. Um, a lot of people are talking about a rotation into stocks from bonds. Bonds have done incredibly well, despite the incredibly low yield in the last few years. You know, yeah, I pay attention to, you know, rotations and money sectors and money flows. There's no doubt about it. But I don't get too caught up in it. I don't get too rattled by it. I don't think too much about it. I'm more of an earnings kind of investor than anything else. Tonight, Visa will tell me more about transactions and and the world than I will worry about a great rotation. Am I ignorant of it? No. Will I dwell on it? No. Everyone knows the U.S. housing market's on the way up, but housing is a very local story. Specifically, the foreclosure process has determined how quickly a market is able to clear out inventory. You should know this. This is Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Hopefully you can come out tonight and meet me out at Bistro in the park. Bistro at the park is our way of saying that. Inside Lafayette Park Hotel, 3287 Mount Diablo Boulevard, Lafayette, California. Uh, love to see a lot of you out there. I'm going to bring probably 20 to 30 copies of uh, dividends that I like. Uh, what I would refer to as a stock buying shopping list in case things get rough. SP 500 is down 3. Dow is down 36. The NASDAQ is down 7. Is the post office closing, stopping Saturday deliveries the big story of the day? Oof, right? Chipotle had good earnings. I could find stories today, but they're really not jumping out at me, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, women CFOs at record level in the United States. Top job is still quite quite rare. A CFO in SP 500 companies, 54 CFOs are women. It's a nice move from 40. Still seems a little on the low side. Women are now overseeing the finances of companies like J.P. Morgan Bank, Gannett, Time Warner. Um, it isn't old accountant's job anymore. It's uh, much more of co- corporate governance. Chevron's got a female CFO. Like, I wish this wasn't a story. I know it, it's good that it is a story, but I wish that it wasn't a story. That's not because I'm sucking up to women in the audience, although I do love you. It's that, I don't know, it seems odd to me. Uh, Spanish home prices have a big halt after three years of massive declines. 
Average home prices have fallen for 36 consecutive months. It's a market that's been clobbered. I know someone that went out and bought a Spanish house because uh, he thought it was cheaper than buying in America with the same sort of leveraged upside. I warned him not to do it. And he did it. Obama, President Barack Obama is nominating a new Secretary of the Interior. Interior. Oof. I know. Like, recreational Equipment CEO Sally Jewell is going to be the, the nominee. I don't think most Americans know what the Secretary of Interior does. I don't think most Americans can name the cabinet positions. I would bet most Americans could name three cabinet positions. And I'm not knocking on Americans. Maybe a little bit. Uh, what else do we got today? You know, this is kind of interesting. Uh, sustainability is starting to become a topic. As far as, like, newspapers. That's kind of nice to see. I don't know why, but it's kind of nice to see. Get your calls in there. It's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about today. Um, let's see. Someone's asking me. Yeah. It's going through my email right now. I'm trying to see if I can't find anything that's intriguing. Disney had really a strong quarter. But one of the things that have people talking this morning is spin-off films of Star Wars. So Bob Iger announced there would be more Star Wars spin-off films. In addition to Episode 789, thus Princess Leia or Chewbacca could have their own movies. You know, X-Men kind of does that, right? as well as uh, the Avengers. Iger said when we were exploring seriously with George, the acquisition of Lucasfilm, the idea of producing the so-called few standalone films that were not part of the overall saga came up. He said what I can confirm today is that those possibilities are becoming more real and they are now are part of the creative entities that we're working on developing scripts for that would be standalone films. We're not saying how many. Lawrence Kazan wrote The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi is working on one. Simon Kinberg is working on another. How many can we expect? So there will at least be two Star Wars spinoff films. The idea has been brewing since October when they acquired Lucasfilm. Release dates. Well, episodes 7, 8, and 9 are expected to be rolled out over a six-year period beginning in summer of 2015. We know J.J. Abrams is directing Star Wars Episode 7. Um, so that's all I got. I know you're saying, that's not a lot today, Rob. That's not a lot. You're coming up a little on the empty side. Well, I think that's fair. Got an email about Ameriprise the other day. What interested me about this was uh, 
people don't know. And uh, a guy asked me what my take is on Ameriprise. And uh, I said, I don't like Ameriprise. It's a starting point for people who want to get in the industry. A lot of bad products are utilized. And he sent an email back to me. I didn't know he was asking about working there. He was asking more so. I thought he was asking more so about, you know, being a client of someone there. So I gave him the advice, like, uh, be cautious. And he said, last fall I was hired as a planner in their downtown Minneapolis call center. He calls it the Ameriprise Advisor Center. I went through there, what I refer to as Test Death March, where you get your Series 7 and 6-3, get your health and disability and life insurance accreditations. He's now taking telemarketing Ameriprise to orphan accounts in northeastern USA. So, Ameriprise wants you to use your own personal network. And their quotas are so high that they say that, you know, you can't hit unless you hit your own personal network. So I have a problem with the whole personal network issue. You know, I have no issue saying, like, uh, I've networked pretty well in the last couple of years. And if anyone needs someone to work with in life insurance or financial planning or reverse mortgage. I could say that I've, I've really found some good people and some bad people, but I don't make my living off that network. So Ameriprise isn't much of an independent shop. They don't promote independent thinking. So this person did get into a good... He did get into the financial industry, but now they're finding he doesn't really like what Ameriprise offers, basically telemarketing. Um, I'd be very cautious of working with Ameriprise. Now, again, why is that? I did a seminar this weekend where there was probably one of the most stunningly beautiful women that I've seen in my life. She's probably like a 26, 27-year-old Berkeley student. And then sitting next to her was a, a couple with a kid. You know, where both of them worked to try to make ends meet. The next to them was the guy who's got more than enough money to retire on but doesn't want to. We're all different. That's the problem that I have with Ameriprise is that they'll take anyone off the street and say, okay, if you want to be a financial person, fine. But you're going to have to sell to your friends and family, and uh, here's a lot of product for you. And the product's typically pretty bad product, high cost. It's not all bad product, but it's not... Most of it's nothing I would use to solve financial problems. So I'm not totally against Ameriprise. I'm just largely against Ameriprise. And if I were any of those three examples that I gave, the last person in the world that I would want to work with is someone who's a stepping stone into the industry. Someone who's using Ameriprise as the first step to get a career. Which, again, we all have to do it. I mean, we all have to take that first step at some point. But it's not on my... Don't experiment on me. Please. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, Going to do a Black Wednesday this evening, off the cuff with Rob Black. 
So we're going to bring out a shopping list of stocks that you would want to have or maybe acquire if the market gets really choppy. Some people are predicting a very choppy market in the month of February and March as we deal with congressional issues, political issues. So some people think, uh, you know, the 6% start could lead to a big correction. I don't think that's ludicrous to to think about it. I think it's ludicrous to get obsessed about that it could happen for sure. Netflix is four percentage points away from doubling for the year. So come out tonight, meet me, Bistro at the Park, inside Lafayette Park Hotel. Uh, more information can be found at kdow.biz, kdow.biz. While you're there, you can also get the podcast of the show. It's typically up right around 9.15. You can also find me at YouTube, Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Rough day for me. Got a long day. Gonna be out at Easter at the park tonight from 5 to 7. Keep in mind, I'm typically in bed by 9. So it's a pretty long day for me. I'm going wire to wire. So the U.S. housing market, markets with the strongest appreciation are non-judicial foreclosure states. That's areas where laws allow banks to clear distressed homes without lengthy court proceedings. They're recovering the most quickly. Areas like Phoenix and San Francisco and Denver and San Diego, prices have gone up 10 to 20%. But judicial states, like Florida and New York, areas where it takes longer to evict someone. It takes about 500 days, up to three years. The eradication of distressed properties is much slower, and the recovery has been uneven in the United States. Real estate's interesting to me in the sense that at some point in time, it's just housing. A million-dollar house in one market that's a three-bedroom, two-bath is a $200,000 house in another market, like Tampa. Three-bedroom, two-bath. As good of schools, as good as neighborhoods, not as close to high-paying jobs, not as close to maybe the ocean, or not as close to something, right? You lose some perk. Real estate is said to be location, location, location. But at some point in time, it becomes ridiculous. There's an issue going on in San Francisco right now that people are just paying whatever to pay whatever. They don't care. You go to an open house and you see like a bus stop in front of it. And you're like, what's happening here? And then you find out it's a bunch of Google employees and they're all going to, you know, put, they're going to offer one year of rent. Or they're going to offer, you know, 40% down. They don't care. They're outbidding you because they don't care. 
that kind of mentality typically ends very, very badly. Like last night, I drank my face off because I didn't care, and I kept drinking, and I kept drinking, and I kept drinking, and I kept drinking. Just be careful on housing. I'm not saying don't. It's all up to you. To get your calls there, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Tim Geithner. Oops, my voice is going on me. Tim Geithner, the 75th Secretary of the U.S. Department of Treasury. He's going to join the Council on Foreign Relations later this month as a distinguished fellow. So he's got his first job after leaving the Treasury. Finding employment that di- not that difficult. One trader out there has made a very big bet that volatility is going to pick up large in the next 60 days. And if that happens, the market should sell off. French government fears social implosions or explosions. That's worthy of throwing out there. The daily drumbeat of layoff and plant closure announcements in France has been riling up desperate workers who have little hope of finding a job elsewhere. Unemployment rate of 10.5%. France is one of those countries that has a radicalization of angry workers. A major quandary for them in the sense that a socialist government promised during the election to side with the workers. But so far that has actually come to mean squadouche. So they put in the exact government that they want, that they think that's going to help them, and it doesn't, because it can't. France has got big problems. Air France, ArcelorMittal, Goodyear, PetroPlus, Texas Instruments, Renault, are all companies that are cutting massive employees, and there's social anger there. It's incredibly hard to do business there, and it's an incredibly taxed country. Highly taxed country. So, I throw that out there because we can look at Greece and go, they don't really mean that much. When all is said and done, less is said. When all is said and done, less is done and more said, right? But France is no Greece. There's a guy that Warren Buffett learned from. His name's Benjamin Graham. And it's worthy of studying some of the things that he'd say. You know, he talked about the psychology of the investor. He talked about the debt. He believed in companies with cash and not, you know, debt. He always thought long-term... You have to look at things as an aspect of eternity. Ben Graham was all about fundamentals and he forgot the rest. He was all about studying balance sheets and diversifying. Be willing to buy something that no one else wants to buy and buy it cheaply. Consider being an activist investor. One of the things that really got me was consider buying things cheaply that no one else wants. One man's trash is another man's, you know, glorious riches. It's not quite like going to the dump and saying, I'm going to go pick out an outfit for the prom. 
But there's some businesses, like, I wouldn't mind owning a trash company, like a waste management. We're going to need trash the day I die, right? A lot of people are like, I don't want to own a cigarette company. They make cancer. Exactly. So buy that company and then buy a pharmaceutical that cures cancer. Hey, come out and meet me tonight. Going to be at the Beaster at the Park from 5 to 7. Lafayette, California. Lafayette Park Hotel. More information at kdow.biz. Texas. Care your parents and older family. Free Business Network. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial. Money investing and more. Stocks are declining today. Not like horribly. Even if it was horrible. We're having a great year. So what's your perspective? You just started investing today. Jitters are returning to markets despite um, a huge surge this morning off the Nikkei. There's a big story out there today. The long-struggling U.S. Postal Service is canceling its Saturday delivery and a plan to save roughly $2 billion. I don't know. And again, I'm not trying to make a comment that is going to piss anyone off, but it seems like any time I run into a post office, it's mind-numbingly slow, and I don't understand. You run into a FedEx, and they're like, what can I do for you? Where do you want to send it? How much? Here you go. Like, they talk faster. So there's going to be an uproar about the decision to stop delivering mail on Saturday. But why did it stop there? You know, they're losing a lot of money. It's an independent establishment, so it's no longer funded by taxpayer dollars. But yet it doesn't have the true independence to restructure. They have to go ask mommy and daddy at Congress. It's been a slow-motion death spiral. Postal Service now says it's going to stop ordinary mail delivery on Saturdays beginning in August. It's going to save $2 billion a year. It'll still deliver packages which are more profitable. You know, if it were truly independent, it would be more drastic. Maybe three days a week until they're profitable. Hike the price of stamps. Hike the postage for periodicals and promotional materials. Slow delivery of first-class mail. Deliver to cluster boxes at the curb or at centralized locations instead of sending a postal carrier to every American's front door. There's ways to do it. Um, let them ship liquor. You know, it could sell non-postal products in its post offices, ranging from coffee to business services. Uh, services. Americans just don't care. This is not enough of a cut. And with that, it's it's going to come back and ask for more money down the road. Visa, News Corp, Prudential, amongst 24 companies, the SP500 scheduled reporter news today. So far, about 74% of 
303 members have exceeded earnings expectations in the S&P 500. Why is that important? Why do I even bring that up? Um, good question. Uh, lowered expectations, that's exactly right. If companies got beating expectations, analysts would keep upping up, upping expectations, and analysts cut expectations after companies lowered expectations. It's a little bit of financial engineering. So Visa News Corp Prudential going to report numbers tonight. I'll pay most attention to Visa, but I will pay attention to News Corp. Although last night I had Disney. So do I need another media company? Probably not. GameStop down two bucks today. World's largest video game retailer. Was up 16% this week. Microsoft's next Xbox console is going to require an internet connection in order to operate. That's going to rule out a second-hand market. Wynn Resorts, which depends on Macau for most of its revenue, dropped three bucks. China's government's going to start taking action this month to clamp down on junket operators that bring gamblers from the mainland to Macau. I can't make this stuff up. Disney, the world's largest entertainment company, advanced 73 cents. The owner of Star Wars and Avengers franchises said profit adjusted for some items at 79 cents a share better than expectation. Sales up 5%. Hewlett Packard in the news. They're considering a breakup of the company. HP has declined to comment. Hewlett Packard's board is actively studying a breakup plan that would probably break apart the PC business. Ralph Laurel up 6% today. Its namesake brand clothing. Reported fiscal third quarter profit, the top expectations. Zing in the news. I don't know why. Sales were $311 million. Analysts on average had revenue would decline to $250 million. Company posted a profit of about one penny a share. Expectations for a loss of three cents. I don't know if you've seen some of the video footage coming out of Beijing, but the pollution is grotesque. One of my favorite headlines this week was Man and Dog Uncover Whale Vomit Worth $68,000. There's a pretty good chance if I uncovered whale vomit, I'd probably go, ew, and keep on walking. Just throwing it out there for you. My eyeballs don't see whale vomit as like, ooh, sweet. I've hit the payday. I've hit the jackpot. So, Blockbuster closing more of its uh, stores. They had 850 stores left in America. Now they're down to 550 after they closed 300. It's one of those things that um, I'm surprised there's even hard... I'm really surprised there's like... Even those old stores. The, the profits can't be that good, can they? Streaming is making... The DVD business, you know, repugnant. I tried to put in a DVD the other day, and, like, I couldn't get any audio voice out of it, so I thought it was broken and played with it and got the wires working right. But it, it had been that long since I had put in a DVD. I don't know. If you're with me or against me. Benjamin Graham was Warren Buffett's mentor. It's where he gets a lot of his quotes based out of. 
Um, Buffett said that Graham's book, The Intelligent Investor, changed his life. He read the book in 1949. So Buffett's considered the best investor of all time. So it's a book you should read, The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. And again, investing is not for everyone, but you can certainly do your best to make it better for you. I don't think that's you know being unruly of me. Virgin Media said to seek about $8.3 billion buyout by Liberty. Liberty is a pretty powerful little media company. They've got a lot of brands now, run by John Malone. To get your calls in there, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. A lot of debt in that deal, just FYI. I know a lot of people think companies take over companies. Sometimes they are got to take over their debt with it. So the old where's the beef line. Coming up pretty big. In Ireland, after it was found that some Burger Kings were serving up horse meat. Again, it was genuinely a small amount of horse meat, but it was still horse meat. Where's the beef? Came from a Polish meat labeled as beef and sold to Rangalon Foods, a frozen burger producer in Ireland. It's actually 75% horse meat. I wonder if I'd be able to tell the difference. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeartRadio Welcome back in, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Bill Miller, he's a legendary fund manager. Just a crazy good run of beating the SP 500 for many years. He's saying some nice words about Apple, which has been subjected to a brutal sell-off since September. Apple share says Miller are coming under fire because investors start to think the company's products may be losing their luster. He doesn't see that as the case. Having bought an Apple notebook for the first time this weekend, I can tell you. I'm already pretty loyal to it. Not in a, uh, not in a like, odd way. I'm Rob Black. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money. I do have an event coming up tonight. Come meet me at the Bistro at the Park from 5 to 7. It's a meet and greet. It's a networking event. It's not much drama. Um, it's very low-key. You can find out more at kdow.biz. The SP 500 is down fractions. Dow is down 14. The Nasdaq's down fractions. Joining me now, certified financial planner Chad Burton, to talk an odd topic here. Uh, there's different types of investors, we know that, but let's go with a different total type, people who are single. Most of us don't start saving money till we're married, and we say, I've got to take care of my wife. Most of us don't start saving money till we have kids. 
We want to leave a bit of a legacy with our savings. But when you're single, you're more of a spender. You're going to concerts, you're going out, you're whining and dining, you're wooing. What's your thoughts on investing and in, in, in saving as a single person? Hmm. Well, <laughs> my, my thoughts, <laughs> if you're going to invest and in, in save while you're single, is is you find somebody that you might want to marry. Start early on on talking about prenuptial agreements. Okay. Um, I met a guy that uh, was involved in a one of the founding members of a startup. Okay. And it was well on its way. Got married. Didn't do anything on the prenuptial agreement. Lost half of what the eventual result was. And and the marriage only lasted for a couple of years. And it was kind of one of those deals where you couldn't believe what the person did, the, you know, the spouse did in this case, and still lost a lot of what he worked, you know, 15 to 20 hours a day on for five to six years of this startup. So prenuptial agreements very, very important. How about a post-nup? Post-nuptial is, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things where if you don't have anything when you get married, the post-nuptial is a little bit more involved in, you know, what am I going to pay after I pass? But, boy, that's a tough thing to approach, though, when you're, you know, first getting married, you don't have kids yet. Whether or not it's going to hold up in court, whether or not both sides really had an attorney, it's tough. I personally don't think it's that tough. I I just think you need to dehumanize it. Like, for instance, I got that frying pan from my mother. Um, I want that in a prenup, and that's a good starting conversation right there. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, a prenup, maybe things don't end as well as we want them to, or, you know, it, it, it's it's there for a worst-case scenario. It's not there for a best-case scenario. Um, now, with that said, being single, you know, you have a lot more costs, uh, but everyone should max out their 401K when you're single or when you're married. There's some things. You don't need life insurance when you're single. You know, if you die, no one cares. Right. So don't have life insurance. Um, you know, life insurance is there to replace your income for your loved one that you just left. Um, you know, at one point in time, if I died, my cat would have got my money. That's funny. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of sense of humor that I want to have out there. It's funny. Um, some other areas, you know, when you're single is, is do be careful because dating is expensive and, you know, trying to find the right partner is important. When you do find that person, um, talk to them about money. A lot of couples don't ever talk about money, and then when it does happen, it, it's a stressful environment and it doesn't need to be. When do credit checks. I mean, how many times have we run into people? I have a real close friend that a marriage ended because she found out about $60,000 worth of debt that was in place prior to marriage that was yeah. totally hidden. Totally hidden until the person else basically had a breakdown and it all kind of came crashing down. And you marry into that scenario and uh, it could be a problem and again, something well, yeah, you fight over. It's because uh, the house was purchased together at the height yeah. and then now her credit is completely screwed as well. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's you know situation. What I, you know what I like about credit checks is it can kind of tell you if your spouse is kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, if, if the person you're getting ready to marry, you find out she's had like 19 late delinquent charges and you're like, whoa, you partied pretty hard because that, that many late. So you, you have to almost try. Yeah. Well, I've told you the story before about a couple that I could never get the financial plan done because they wouldn't give me the, the, couldn't get the expenses from them. Yeah. And it never finally made – it finally just didn't make sense. So I was sitting with the, the, one of the clients. The, other, the spouse was at work. Sure. And I said, have you ever done a credit check? And we went to annualcreditreport.com, which is the one free. And I had to sit there with one of the spouses and uncover $100,000 worth of credit card debt that was being hidden. Yeah. And it was like telling you that your spouse has cheated on you for the last 10 years. It's that's, a shock. That's, I mean, he, I thought he was going to pass out. Yeah. And, um, you know, you see a guy in tears because he finds out about that much debt and his retirement has been put off for about an extra two or three years because of 
As a, CF, yeah. as a CFP, did you have to hold them and nurture them and cuddle them? Uh, we were we were looking up. I said, you, you know, you can't go home and talk to your spouse about this. You need counseling. There's obviously a, a okay. shopping problem here. Don't go home and explode about it. Go speak to a counselor. Approach it almost like an intervention with other family members because it is it was an intervention and it actually yeah. turned out successful. Um, luckily, they had a ton of equity in their home and they were able to pay it off and still retire okay. But it was relatively small compared to the overall portfolio, but it was still there and it was still hidden. And so this segment's oh, turned into instead of investing for singles, it's turned into credit check spouses, and because they're probably li- they're true. probably lying to you. Is <laughs> 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 what we've learned. My dad died with four hundred with uh, sixty thousand dollars of credit card debt. Sixty thousand dollars of credit card debt that no one knew about because my dad was kind of a short guy. He was five eight, and uh, he'd go to like Home Depot and. There's a store on the East Coast called Heckinger's, which was Home Depot before Home Depot. And he'd buy power tools because, you know, that gave him kind of like the manly thrill that he couldn't get from being six foot tall. Um, <laughs> with that said, I inherited a bitchin' set of tools, but my mom inherited a lot of credit card debt that she didn't know was there. So that's a, a little bit unfortunate. Yeah, we're in, that, that generation, too, is very private about money. You know, yeah. We're in a generation where 50% of marriages fail. People live till they're 100 years old, so most of the time... Unfortunately, people aren't with the same spouses, so um, be very careful because people that trade houses, spouses, and cars more often than others are the ones that don't retire well. Interesting to note. With that said, I don't want to live to 100 unless I'm like Highlander, and I could live forever (laughs) with a Scottish friend. Um, Scottish ninjas. (laughs) Odd concept, right? Yes, very odd. Whoever pitched that movie, they had some cojones. With that said, that certified financial planner, Chad Burton. Chad Burton, you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. So, a couple things to look at. It's a slightly down market and a slightly up year. Apple trading higher today in a down market. Disney higher, Polo Ralph Lauren higher. Come meet me tonight in Lafayette for information about the event at Beast at the Park. Go to robblack.com. Actually, go to kdow.biz. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Not a lot going on in the world of top stories today. The one that I could find that I find interesting is that one big trader has made an $11 million bet that the market's going to, volatility's going to spike. Typically when volatility spikes, it's called the VIX. And we had a caller about this not too long ago. Typically, when volatility spikes, the market goes down. And you can actually buy an investment that tracks the VIX. It's one of the more odd concepts that you can do. Someone's betting big. Real big. Uh, I throw it out there. I don't want you to do it. I don't want you to think about it. But someone's betting $11 million. In the world of investments, betting on 
a market that could break out, that has been breaking out, it's kind of a dangerous bet. Because if the market hits a new high, we start talking about it. It could be kind of a self-fulfilling issue. I think you kind of get where I'm trying to send that call or that content. You want to be cautious. There's something called the echo boom. And in the world of money and investing, I'm a fundamental guy. First and foremost, I like looking at companies. I like looking at economies. The Great Recession may have delayed the plans of a lot of recent college graduates, but there's something called an echo boom. The echo boom is the sons and daughters of the baby boomers. And they could be the next thing that drives the market. There's 80 million of them. All the normal things that drive the economy are tied towards them. Household formation, entering the workforce, you know, getting new clothes, getting a new house. Thanks to the echo boom, the market could go up. Stocks will go up. Households will be formed. Households will be formed leads to recovery in real estate. National income surges. Lots more spending would happen. This is a group that's taken a lot of licks. They're known as Generation Y. They're known as Millennials because they came of age in the new millennium. They're generally defined as having been born between 1980 and 1995. So if you conceived Duran Duran, you probably gave birth to a millennial. There's 80 million of them. Compare that with 77 million baby boomers. That's a good, that's a good line right there. Let's go to a quick phone call. Sunil, how are you, Sunil? Can't hear him if he's there. Might be having some audio problems. Again, are you there? Gone. Gone and forgotten. That's all I got for you, Sunil. Gone and forgotten. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, S&P 500 down one, Dow down 14, NASDAQ down fractions. Probably the big story of the day is Italian Banca Monte de Passi expected to reveal extent of derivative-related losses today. That's of note in large part, in large part, because you don't want to see banks fail or flop. Sunil, you're never allowed to call again. So I was talking about millennials before I mistakenly went to a caller. 80 million of them. 80 million's a lot. The oldest Echo Boomer is 33 years old. So, born between 1980 and 1995. They're important because we want them to make houses and to make babies and have jobs. Eventually, they'll be the largest cohort in the country. U.S. millennials will outnumber non-millennials by 22 million in the year 2030. 
as baby boomers start to die? They're less white. They're more diverse. Back in the 1990s, if I was doing the show, I'd be talking about the baby boomers retiring and how they're a massive force of people and how their retirement is going to change the economy and that's why you want to buy pharmaceutical companies. I'd do stories about like, oh yeah, grandpa, or not grandpa, but that baby boomer just retired and now he's fine and he's got a lot of time to make love with his wife, so shares of Pfizer's Viagra. Most prescribed and re-prescribed drug of all time. Like, Go by like that was the kind of crappy we'd do. So now we're looking at the millennials who are between age eighteen and twenty nine. Fourteen percent are black compared with people age thirty and older in the United States, eleven percent. Millennials nineteen percent are Hispanic versus thirteen percent who are thirty and older. White has gone from seventy percent of all people in the United States age thirty and older down to sixty one percent of just millennials. Interestingly, Asians still represent 5% across the board. The values of a millennial are important to me. I met a couple millennials last year, got to know them, and one of them just wants to, you know, doesn't want to work till the day she dies. She broke up with her fiancé when she found out that he wasn't going to be a good mate that he always ran up debt but the values are important there's some new priorities that are starting to become a little bit more obvious the percent saying that's important in their life 52% say that being a good parent is important in their life 30% say in having a successful marriage 21% Say helping others in need. 20% owning a home. 15% having a high paying career. They're better educated than the baby boomers. Percentage of millennials who already have a college graduated from college is 19%. Plan to graduate from college is 44%. 31% have no plan on going to college. So that's an impressive 63% with college degrees. The effect of recession on millennials who are not employed, they're very optimistic, is what you need to get out of this. They don't have enough income now, but will in the future. At some point in time, this equals more household formation. So I'm telling you, back in the 1990s, I'd do stories about baby boomers retiring and the need for health care. And, like, insurance companies, life insurance companies were going to benefit because people were living longer. Bullish on housing means you're bullish on the economy. Household formation has probably hit a bottom. From 2006 to 2010, 840,000. The normal is 1.3 million. Household formation, i.e. not living with mom and dad. The numbers have been dropping in the last four years from 
1.6 million to 800,000 to 500,000 to 400,000. Household formation drives economies. Nearly 3 million in pent-up demand. The growth rate in couples is large. 8.4% of people aged 25 to 34 live at home. So they're deferred renters who will become owners, and that should drive demand, and it should drive pent-up demand. If we get back to normals, if we get back to 40-year normals of household formation of 1.3 million, keep in mind, we're at 1.6 million in 2006 when everyone wanted to own a home, and then the economy just, the housing market just collapsed. So if we get back to normal, we're at 400,000. If we get back to 1.3 million, housing's going to go higher. As people buy houses, they want to paint houses. As they want to paint houses, they put in new furniture. As we put in new furniture, we cut down trees. As we cut down trees and cut wood and build stuff and we put it on credit, we go into debt. So the millennials, mathematically, they're going to help us. And they're going to get there when they get back to the norm. Am I counting on it? I'm sure as hell not counting on a prolonged recession, depression, oppression, worst case scenario. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Come meet me tonight. Let's see how grumpy I'll be at Beast at the Park from 5 to 7. I'm going to bring a list of kind of what I call a shopping list of stocks that I would want to own in the worst case scenario, a down market, a prolonged down market, stocks that I want to buy. Bring your financial questions, bring your portfolio, and uh, I'll take it home and work up a review for you. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. To meet me tonight at Bistro Park, you can learn more at kdow.biz. Bistro at the Park from 5 to 7 at the Lafayette Park Hotel in Lafayette, California. AM 1220 KDOW traffic. This Bay Area up. You're listening to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Welcome in. Rob Black, your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and much, much more. It's been an odd day for me. It's going to continue to be an odd day. U.S. equities opened lower. Names like Walt Disney up today. Ralph Lauren. We're seeing material sectors turning positive in recent trade. Steel producers garner some interest. Reliance Steel up. They made an agreement to acquire all the outstanding shares of Metals USA. I know you're saying you could actually buy steel companies, would you? 
Oh, retailers. Per the National Retail Federation, some business groups aren't happy with President Obama's plan to eliminate corporate tax breaks and use the revenue saved to lower the deficit, saying the revenue should be used to lower tax rates instead. National Retail Federation President and CEO Matthew Shea says piecemeal efforts to eliminate corporate tax benefits outside the context of corporate tax reform would make it difficult to achieve the type of changes required to provide much-needed growth in the U.S. economy. It's an interesting dilemma, huh? Should we pay down the deficit? Or should we cut Americans' taxes? Can we afford the deficit? It's no surprise that a retailing group saying cut people's taxes, so you got to take a story like that and go, eh. Just can't give them much credit, can you? The Wall Street Journal did a piece today on U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder and the whole S&P Standard & Poor's rating agency debacle. What's interesting to note is in 2007, there was a guy named Josh Rosner. He wrote for Fortune Magazine. He was a managing director at Graham Fisher. Co-authored a paper in which he predicted significant losses in even investment-grade securities because agencies' models were so far off. He expected rating agencies eventually would face litigation as a result of the role they played in creating these instruments. I mean, he got it right. Five and a half years ago, he got it right. Anyhow, the world is crashing, not so much. HP is eyeing a breakup. HP board is studying a breakup with the tech company. And Hewlett and Packard, I, I, I think they're both dead. I'm assuming they are. David Hewlett and David Packard or Steve Hewlett or whatever their names are. They have to roll it over their grave at what management's done to this company. And again, it's the right thing to do. PCs, are, it's tough to make that a big part of your business model right now, and that's what it is. Oh, boy. Sequester's coming. A lot of people think some volatility's coming. How do you want to play that in your portfolio? In the past, we'd say that Europe will likely get out of their problems pretty much so unscathed because they tend to be conservative. But the whole European Union kind of meshes together the weak countries like Greece, the bold countries like France that they try to they try to be socialists, but the socialist experiment's failing. The capitalist countries like Germany that are doing things right. So lots of drama out there, right? Get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Taking a look at the market numbers for today. We've basically been lower at the start of the day. Keep in mind, market's open right around 6.30 Pacific time. So we're a couple hours in. The Nasdaq's turned positive. The Dow's down 8. The S&P 500's down fractions. Legendary investor Bill Miller saying, hey, shares of Apple are too cheap. So it went down to 450, got as low as 435, and now it's back to 463. I believe the stock to be easily a $600 stock. I think it got oversold. I think it got put into the share the hands of of rookies. 
And I think that was a bit of a problem. When you're in rookie hands, it becomes problematic. Apple announced today that it sold its 25, 25th billion song to a kid in Germany. He's going to receive 10,000 euro iTunes gift card. iPod units are decreasing, but there's still over 32 million iPods sold in 2012. The iTunes store has over 26 million songs and 775,000 apps. The Apple ecosystem is quite healthy with over 40 billion apps being downloaded since it opened. 25 billion songs. And again, Apple once was considered Apple computer. The operating systems tend to have higher traffic and better monetization than Android apps, Apple's software does. And that helps app developers. That helps developers say, like, hey, we're going to develop for Apple instead of Google. So 25 billion songs sold. Yay. Again, I can't say I get wildly excited by that, because I don't. But it's worthy of note. Going to be out and about tonight. Or as my Canadian friends like to say, oot in a boot. Going to be off the cuff. It's kind of like a happy hour. I'm going to bring some copies of some, what I would call a stock list. A shopping list, in case the markets get hit. You're invited to come on out tonight. Be sure at the park, 5 to 7 p.m. More information at kdow.biz. That's kdow.biz. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.